Welcome to the Ab Initio podcast series, a Bankless Legal Guild production. If you are a lawyer, accountant, or tax professional, you're likely getting an increased number of questions from clients about cryptocurrencies, DAOs, and the blockchain in general. The purpose of this podcast is to help you answer these by having our established expert guests discuss current legal issues and cases on a regular basis. In this episode of the Abinicio Bankless Legal Guild podcast, we speak with Maria Santa Maria, also known as Fortunata. She's a leading corporate lawyer specializing in new technologies and has worked in Portugal and Argentina. Today, we talk about Maria's career as a crypto lawyer, her experience working with technology clients, and the dilemma we face while categorizing tokens as a utility or governance token. Fortunata is a member of One Big Lab. That's the number one, B-I-G-L-A-B.com, providing crypto legal consultancy services. Please don't hesitate to reach out to Fortunata at 1BL.com, F-O-R-T-U-N-A-T-A at 1BL.com. Now let's get into it. So hey guys, finally we have Fortunata with us. Uh, how are you, Fortunata? Today. Hi, Lion. How are you doing? I'm actually very excited for being here. So thank you very much. Yeah, and I must op- apologize to my guest today. You know, we wanted to uh, record this quite a while back, but uh, both of us were slightly busy, uh, more towards my end. But thanks a lot for your time. And I really, really value it. And uh, yes, thank you. So I think we should begin. Uh, firstly, tell, tell us a bit about yourself. How, what have you been up to these days? And, you know, what, what excites you a lot these days? Okay, so a little bit about myself. Um, my name is, I, I'm known, or my crypto handle is Fortunata, but actually my name is Maria Milagros and I am from Argentina. I am a lawyer and I'm currently living and based in, Les- in Lisbon because of my work, which is basically crypto legal consultancy. So I actually moved here to Lisbon about nine or 10 months ago so I could work a little bit better on crypto related projects and things have been really exploding this past months in the whole industry. I think people are already aware of that, but my background has to do with uh, my family law firm. That's quite a big law firm back in Argentina that has been doing a lot of international tax planning for over 30 years now, uh, trust funds, real estate, uh, private corporate, and for about two years now, tokenization of different assets and different matters related to blockchain. So the fact that everything is getting combined right now with consultancy on Web3 and different associates that we had on the matter is a little bit like some kind of funny puzzle or Tetris to just aligned to this moment. So right now it's been a lot of research, thankfully a lot of work and having fun at conferences. I think a lot of work is a good problem to have. <laughs> it's a good problem, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I think we should start with my, our first question for today. Yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, Fortunata, I was recently at a crypto conference and I met a lot of contributors. And, you know, uh, like a majority of the conversation was driven by crypto and the wealth that is, it's creating. Uh, like my biggest fear as a lawyer today is that when I came into this profession, you know, I thought I'm in the business of knowledge, justice and, you know, all these <laughs> big, big things. Uh, but today I feel I'm just in the business of money. You know, and the money that is being created by us, being spent by us. And um, so, you know, I, I, I face sometimes a lot of moral dilemmas and stuff like that. Do you, do you ever feel 
like a lawyer that you know you you want to be in the business of justice instead of being in the business of money well i don't know if i particularly agree with the idea presented on the fact that i don't think there are contrapositions being in the business of law and justice in contraposition of making money because first of all i believe that money is actually a consequence of this particular niche field like a mean to that is correlated to an end because at the end of the day if we're a business of if we are the business of knowledge and justice we still have legal fees to charge or income and rewards for our work we're in the end providing a service so i don't believe there's a direct link between crypto law and dirty money or just crypto law only related to money and nothing to do with knowledge and justice because in every industry there's going to be a transactional relationship between the parties and this doesn't mean that this legal subcategory of crypto is a bad one of course i agree there are gray areas and lots of parts that are actually non regulated and that we have to work a lot to make unfair situations fair or actually doable feasible for everyone but reality i believe is not symmetric by definition being in crypto being in law being in life so i don't really think that there's a contraposition between being in the business of knowledge and justice with actually making money from the crypto legal side of it so i think it's more of a personal choice on how we handle and shape that reality within ourselves and within our work on that matter and i think as lawyers it's the first time or it's been a very long time that we actually have the possibility of innovating and creating in law hopefully in a compliant way of course so that would be a little bit yeah my take no no i think that's completely a valid point and you know uh actually that makes me feel that you know you have a lot of depth in terms of this because i actually asked this question to a lot of lawyers and you know i get very diverse answers and probably yours uh your uh, your answer as, as at the top so <laughs> all right uh now let's talk about uh, more about you uh, you know and i actually happened to check out uh, your firm and uh, a lot of people and a lot of good people work there and i see some of them happen to have an mba i know that you are also just going to complete uh your masters in business administration and uh, uh i mean so i come from india right so i there it's it's slightly uncommon for lawyers to do an mba so can you uh tell me i mean how did it come about and does having an mba actually benefit your practice well i actually i think everyone can benefit from an mba i mean from business and administration i think it as lawyers it also has to do on what kind of law you actually do and you practice because it's actually super wide So if you're a lawyer that works a lot with private corporate and companies and even real estate or more of a private approach then I think it's very important to understand what's the kind of lifestyle or business or investment or the kind of work that your clients have have to go through so you actually can provide a better service which is also a little bit of a problem when you are in crypto or when you work in crypto because sadly nowadays the MBAs are in that are right now in the market can't really provide a lot of the tools that one requires to face this kind of uh businesses related to crypto and i don't mean it as a fair criticism to academia but actually it's the same thing that happens in law reality goes faster than law and as well as academia and what is actually provided in the market so beyond of the fact that 
it has helped the rest of my team, of course. We're like we're all professors and teachers, and I'm also finishing mine, and it has given me certain tools. I don't really have the feeling that it's it is given me or it has given me the specific tools required for this industry. Nonetheless, I can say there are a few courses that are quite interested and that provide really good tools uh, to apply into the industry. For example, one of my associates, Martin Martoni, he just finished the Warden program on economics of blockchain and digital assets. And he's a big promoter, he's an alumni, and he is really uh, very eager on it. And it has really good material from really good teachers and professors and Nobel Prizes, professors and directors. I mean, there is stuff that you can find to actually learn from. And I'm about to finish as well one of Oxford's programs on blockchain that I'm very pleased with that has very valuable information and interactions with very important key players of the market. And uh, there's also another program in Austral University in Argentina that's called uh, Blockchain and Business, where I'm a professor. I'm, I'm going to give a class now in June. That also provide, uh, the, I was a professor last year as well. That's, that's why I know the syllabus and the other professors. So there's very little offer, but it's there. And in this industry, we have to admit, lots of us haven't had other choices that started by being self-taught until we find a curated source to learn from. So classic MBAs is going to be hard, but the tools can help you in every day. For blockchain, you have to look a little bit harder. Yeah. So I'm assuming that it's not like the clients are saying, oh, we need an, uh, our lawyers to have an MBA. But if lawyers have an MBA and they can offer business intelligence with proper legal prowess, obviously, uh, that's a big That's hit. always a plus. Yeah. But no, no, but I'm glad that, you know, uh, <laughs> I, I, I've been also considering whether I should do an MBA or not, but I'm glad, I'm glad that, uh, you know, I, I got a, such a nice answer. But, uh, but okay, now talking about, uh, you know, crypto clients and everything, I mean, I just want to uh, get your take on it. Uh, I mean, crypto is here to stay, yes. Is crypto here to stay in this form? We don't know, right? There are a lot of, it's everything is dynamic. And I know a couple of lawyers these days who just focus on like Web3 clients. Do you think that's a... Like, I know it's uh, financially rewarding because obviously, uh, you know, uh, with the crypto increase and everything, like, yeah, money's there. But the point is that, do you, like, generally lawyers have practices that, you know, last 30 years, 40 years. But do you think we can make a 30-year, 40-year career out of uh, just Web3 clients or should we look at other fields as well? That's such a complicated question, especially because of the challenges that AI could provide, like, very, very soon. So if you give me a margin to from now to 30 years, I could even, I could doubt a little bit, but at the same time, Web3, saying like crypto clients is so wide because already Web3 is a concept that's hard to really discriminate or fully grasps. If we're talking, if we say that Web3 clients are being referred to potential individuals or entrepreneurs or companies or businesses, they want to start utilizing blockchain technology to enhance the value of their products or services or innovation, then I do think that lawyers can easily just focus on Web3 clients because if we think about what kind of industry they can actually approach and develop in, it's pretty much everything because it's on the internet. Everything's on the internet. So I do believe that for lawyers to right now focus on Web3 clients, to thrive economically, I think there wouldn't be a problem because usually that also means 
combining whatever client needs there is with other industries at the same time. To give you an explanation, one of the clients that I work for as legal department is Open Vino. Open Vino is a project from a winery back in Argentina, and they're the first winery, it's open source, that tokenized bottles of wine, and also they have tokenized securities with parts of the shares of the company inside of a fideicomiso that's kind of a trust fund that's a tokenized security. But what I mean is that, okay, so it's a, pro- a Web3 client, a project on blockchain, it's its own protocol, they're tokenizing physical assets and doing a lot of interesting stuff. And all of a sudden, I am starting to, I see myself in a need of studying and researching on the different regulations on wineries to become organic all over the world of different, like, and it adapts and you actually have to adapt yourself to your clients. So as a main, I do believe that Web3 can be a main client and then you can adapt to the rest of the needs of your client. Yeah. And, you know, like just from personal experience, a lot of times, uh, I mean, Web3 clients tend to be on the younger side. So they don't want to go for like uh, the legacy law firms. But actually, when you actually look at their matter that they have, it's very traditional. You know, the only difference is that like a paragraph changes. So, for example, I I recently was doing a consultancy agreement uh, for an NFT consultant. I mean, it was it was genuinely a normal consultancy agreement. All it had to change was we just had to write in there. Oh, this is for an NFT. That's it. (laughs) That hurts. (laughs) No, but a lot of times, you know, we feel that, oh, uh, having Web3 clients means the law is different or it's just, no, it's really not. I mean, a, a lot of times I, I have come across like they have same issues, especially taxation and everything. Yes, the law is slightly different in terms of, uh, I mean, uh, I mean, application, but the basics remain the same, right? Contract law will remain the same. Securities law will remain yeah. the same. The businesses and the transactions that people are going to want to make actually have not really changed since the romance. It's just the different media and vehicles that we use actually to make them happen. So in that sense, I agree, but we have to adapt the technology to it. And I had the same struggle here in Portugal when I had to find different partners to work with because I'm not registered as a lawyer here in Portugal, of course, but I do provide consultancy. But that means that for the clients that come to Portugal, they're going to need a partner that is registered. And I struggled so much to find law firms who actually understood what blockchain was and to work with it. And I've, I went to the top traditional biggest uh, law firms in Portugal thinking, okay, they must know. And then I, I was holding my head saying, what am I going to do? <laughs> Thankfully, this was, this was fixed, but it was hard to find knowledgeable people on the model, on the matter, even if they were like big traditional law firms. So, okay, I'm just curious about it. I know I hadn't sent you this question, but the, like, I just want to know, like, do you, is there any practice area that you find it very, like, easily to focus while you're doing, like, Web3 stuff? Like, do you think there is a practice area which, like, really is close to this and you are also comfortable with while dealing with crypto clients? Well, right before starting with crypto in my law firm, we were doing a lot of both trust funds, fideicomisos, and private corporate. So those are the areas. Fideicomiso is like uh, the Latin cousin of trust funds. So I'm just going to say trust funds. So trust funds and private corporate were actually the things and international private corporate or tax planning as well. Those are the areas where I feel more comfortable with. And that I actually think they apply a lot with the current needs of the industry. Because in the end, to just find a lot of different protocols or projects or DAOs even, that just not need a way to land 
and that combine all these structures. So those are the ones I feel more comfortable with. Yeah, no, no, I, I completely understand that. But uh, yeah, <laughs> I think that's a, that's a fair uh, thing because like personally, what I do is like, for example, my pitch to my clients or in general, like if I'm building a practice is like more of emerging technologies because I mean, technically, like when I work with crypto, like it, what I've realized, it's just about someone getting their hands dirty and figuring it out because this is not something you can just Google, right? So, and once you have that, once you just have that uh, attitude, then maybe any emerging technology you can, you know, like at least help with like biotech and stuff like that. So yeah, I, I completely respect that. Okay. Um, so let's, let's ask you about a few tricks, you know, like <laughs> with uh, Web3, what I've realized is that a lot of plants actually come from DAOs, uh, mostly. Uh, even for that matter, through Discord and stuff like that, Twitter. So do you feel it's very like, what do you have any strategy or do you feel like slightly, you know, out of touch or do you sometimes feel weird that why am I so many clients just coming online? And do you like, do you have any trick that you use that, okay, this is the best way to get clients online because nothing is happening based on, uh, you know, just a one-on-one interaction in real life. Everything is virtual. So how do you manage that? Well, it's funny because the law, but back then when I was in the law firm in Argentina, we would already work with different clients, especially with tokenization of assets, like of um, we were tokenizing gold in Colombia and we were doing, we were working with the wine as well. And we were also tokenizing cows, which is funny, but uh, it was all from home and by day by day, one-on-one meeting and networking contact by contact. But it wasn't until I started working for my, one of my last projects uh, that's slash my associate nowadays that he said to me back in September, how come you don't have a Twitter account? And I said, I do have a Twitter account. I, I, I look at memes of my Twitter account. He was like, no, no, no. You need to be on crypto Twitter. You need to be on crypto Twitter. You need to have your ends domain. You need to join different Discord groups so you can actually mingle with other people and learn more. And you also need to actually join a DAO or collaborate for a DAO if you actually want to understand your ecosystem. And you need to go to the conference. It was like, wait, 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 this is a lot. I'm already doing my academia and professional research. The thing about Web3 and crypto and everything is that it's about community. You need to become part of the community and you need to engage online with the community to actually understand it and properly network with them. So ever since I started doing that, I not only got or grasped, grasped a different approach to it, but it actually felt like I became part of it. So I would say that if it works for anyone actually listening, engage online, make, make online, make friends, F-R-E-N-S, make friends. And that's actually how things have been flowing so much. And one of the things that I like the most about the industry uh, that even goes a little bit on the opposite on your main concern, maybe at the beginning is that if you're going to go fast, go alone. If you're going to go far, go together. And I think engaging online, that's a good way of doing it. That's very nice and very positive as well. All right. I think we should now get into a slightly technical questions. So I have, I have one or two of those, uh, just, just to get, get your idea, you know, like, how do you, uh, manage like those situations. So what I've realized is that when you are, uh, going for DAO legal wrappers or like a lot of crypto things, you know, uh, do you, do you like, do you, have you noticed that a lot of them are just incorporated in uh, tax haven offshores, you know, BVI, Cayman islands, Marshall islands and Panama and like, Let's be honest, right? I mean, these jurisdictions are not looked uh, at very nicely by regulators. 
especially if you are in the eastern part of the world or even for that matter west so uh, how do you navigate that uh, do you do you actually uh, ever like advise positively towards tax havens or do you do you stay away from them well every time we interact with clients or we provide our structuring memorandums we provide different options and we explain that each option has different risks so especially because we know it's not we don't only take into account what tax regulations are when structuring different crypto related projects not only DAOs. we think about okay tax regulations of course but also we have to bring into account how each country behaves or regulations they have with blockchain specifically as token issuance and securities and whatnot, and as well, how they're looked upon through the rest of the community, like you just mentioned. So when this happens, we say, okay, if you want to do it fast or you just want to have your structure and pay less taxes, you can have this place, but you need to know that your risks are going to be the fact that regulations can change, the fact that there might be some banks or other entities in Europe, for example, that are not going to want to uh, engage with you as well with the fact that you can even have some tax problems with regulations later or we can also um, we also provide other options like there are these other jurisdictions that are very friendly even tax wise but and a lot more regulated but your fees for example legal fees are going to go to the sky it was uh, last year's pwc in, um, report on crypto tax crypto regulations that said that Liechtenstein is the country in the world with the most clear regulations or taxes and crypto taxes, which can actually make you feel a lot more secure when wanting to incorporate them because they have a lot of regulations on the matter and they're quite uh, broad. And they even have regulations, it's the only regulation in the world with Georgia that actually lets you tokenize uh, real estate, which is, which is crazy. But, what it means that you can have that option. It's going to be a lot safer, but you're going to know, you need to know you're going to have to spend a lot more money. So we provide different options on, okay, you can go for A, B, and C. This is the price of each. This is the risk of each. Then it's your decision on how you want to handle your business and how risk averse you are on the matter, because we have to inform you of everything. Yeah. No, I think, I think uh, that's where a lot of value is. You know, sometimes I just define risk in percentage terms. You know, I'm like, like, look, this jurisdiction this much. Like, the, if you, you will, you get a notice from the tax department. Yes, uh, can we fight it? I don't. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. You can actually. We have the saying in Spanish is that it's important to be careful because sometimes the necklace of the dog can be actually more expensive than the dog itself. So you should be careful on what you decide to fix the problem right now with the problems that can come later with that. No, and rather be over compliant. <laughs> you know, I would. I, my suggestion i will give you an example you know i was recently interviewing for a job and uh, it was with a very big crypto project and you know and the guy just kept grilling me you know on something that clearly i did not have much knowledge about so suddenly i got a little annoyed and at the end i just said look man why don't we just talk about something else maybe i just don't know enough about it he said no 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 i don't want you to give up because clearly there is no law around it so i was just checking your conviction you know <laughs> like are you able to justify your stance or not? I said, okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. That sounds like a very complicated date. That's all I can say. But, but I think, I think his point was right. He said, look, when you'll be sitting in front of the SEC and, you know, they'll be grilling you. What will you do? You can't tell them that, you know, <laughs> let's discuss something else. I said, yeah, fair enough. 
but uh, well, we're lawyers. We're made for that. So we're made to discuss, basically. No, no, definitely. Uh, but other than that, uh, okay, tell me one more thing. What are your thoughts on the Wyoming law? Like, I do you like it? Like, do you think? Uh, I don't know. I'm. I have some reservations. But what are your thoughts? I'm not such a fan of the Wyoming law. I think it can look very comfortable. It can feel very easy and fast to incorporate. But the fact that it's not recognized on a federal level and the whole part of the quorum of 51 just makes it a little bit more complicated. And I don't think it really addresses enough of the problems that DAOs would need to actually solve. I think it looks attractive because it's quite new and innovative, but you can find other options like in the, even in the US. Yeah, plus the federal laws are not clear, right? So, I mean, it just doesn't help a lot. But yeah, were you going to say it was foolish? Uh, did you <laughs> what? Did you stop yourself? I don't know. I, I thought I thought uh, you were going to say it's foolish. No, I think that, no, no, I don't think it's foolish. It's just that I think that there's so many options and uh, it's it's hard. We I have the idea that something, sometimes when we look at really interesting crypto projects or DAOs and DAOs that makes us fall in love with their technology and the whole mission and spirit of it, and we just like go for it with the first option. We think uh, we don't. We need to stop sometimes, and especially because of the legal and financial consequences. Say, okay, I need to think it through before I actually have joint responsibility with a bunch of people. That's why I was like, we should not just pressure into doing stuff, even if we're super excited. Yeah, fair enough. All right, I think uh, I have another like slightly technical question. Uh, look, I have really gone into depth uh, with respect to difference between a uh, like a like a security token and a utility token. And I completely understand all the arguments being made. But like I've seen a lot of investors today who are investing with crypto on crypto projects. And those crypto projects technically don't make any money. So like like uh, don't make any uh, money in terms of, you know, they don't have a revenue. So the only exit for the investors is the governance token or the utility token. And the thing is that investors will go to the top of the world to argue that no, this is not a security. But you know, like let's be honest, like, you know, when I, when I look at it, it's just hard to understand the intention of an investor to say it's not a security. But then when you ask them how will you make money, they'll say, oh, we'll just send the sell the token. So, do you ever feel like suffer with this dilemma? Well, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it's the main dilemma that one has when I have a client that says, "I want to issue my own token or my own governance token," and then I think, "Okay, we need to like cut it in small pieces and understand what are going to be the perks of the token. Is it going to be a payment token? Is it not going to be a payment token? And is where it's is going to be a closed marketplace, an open marketplace? Is it going to be on what specifically 100% digital? Is it going to be a physical asset that you're actually representing? And it's like so many things that you have to go into account to diminish the possibility of being considered a security, especially on the fact that it's kind of like frowned upon right now. So I do find it hard. And that's why I think that when before you issue it, you need to be really smart on understanding if it's going to be a security token, then do things right. If you don't know, then maybe you should consider being over compliant because I still believe that if you F up in the beginnings of this stage and you don't do it properly, then it's going to be even more expensive after that. So I do think it's hard, not impossible, but hard. But to be very honest, do you feel that the regulators will agree with the concept of governance coin? Because I really struggle with it sometimes, you know, I really try to justify it in my head, but you know, like I know how they think. And I also like, I'm able to think from their perspective, 
but you know i just find it very hard to like to actually sit with them and convince them look this is not a security do you think they will take this argument we're talking specifically about sec in the us i don't so far i don't think so with the last remarks hearing about gentler i don't really think so but at the same time there are other jurisdictions as well yeah we're talking about the trade business in the us i don't think that right now there's a very friendly approach at least in a short term sadly fair enough but just to like on the, like i i'm adding this point have you seen an increase in your clients asking you uh for like uh, like relocation like uh, advice regarding hey we want to relocate the laws are not good here yes uh most of them most of the clients or the people have been approaching me on the matter are people who are telling me we have a dao or we want to create a dao or we have this project where would you think would be the best jurisdiction to actually um incorporate and set the whole business so we don't have problems with sec because uh, how do we structure it so it it is smart financially legally and tax wise that's the main concern or question that i'm actually asked generally yeah because like from india i see a lot of people moving to you know like dubai uh, uae uh, even portugal for that matter yeah lots of people coming in probably yeah no no but uh, i i really like the conversation we're having i just want to keep going but uh, we really don't have the time for it so i'll ask you one last question all right i saw that you studied in uh, buenos aires in argentina um, i studied in mendoza argentina ah okay okay but uh, nonetheless i think you have a fair bit about uh, south america right yeah so except bolivia really all the countries have accepted it right i mean more or less well the thing about South America or lots of South American countries and cryptocurrencies is that uh, it is quite known that you lots of South American countries struggle with the value of their currencies and how they're devaluating. So crypto has really been a way of people to find a better way of managing their own finances and even a democratization of finance so they can actually have access to different markets. So in the rest of South America from the community they have very much uh, accepted it and governments have to be in the last time accepting a little bit more depending on what country for example brazil has been ever since 2020 accepted or created some kind of payment rail that actually uses blockchain that's less expensive than the different payment rails i have done by other banks and then you have the in uruguay the digital peso the ipeso as well and you have a similar project happening right now in argentina so beyond bolivia that they banned crypto and it's most likely because of the same fear of devaluating of their own currency i think that in south america and central america there's going to be more and more growth from governments and institutions because we already understood that's here to stay i'm not going to say that it's not going to maybe struggle from other parts of the country or the government but there is this Uh, intention of actually doing something potentially good with it even venezuela in a couple of years ago had its own cryptocurrency called pedro and venezuela is even the country that has more bitcoin in all south america so it's actually a niche that keeps keeps growing i don't think so it's a niche anymore you know like uh, i was i was just like uh, i recently went to a wedding and you know my 60 year old aunt asked me what is nft I thought, okay, if she's asking, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> it's not okay. The time has come. It's good. <laughs> no, no, definitely. But you know, uh, yeah, it 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 was a pleasure to talk to you, uh, Fortunata, and 
you know and clearly you are as uh, smart as you sound everywhere <laughs> oh i hope so <laughs> that's very sweet <laughs> that's something that your grandma would say too i'm sure, sure. no i'm kidding there was a bad joke i had to make in the other thing that's fine no but also i must say that you know you're, you're also very positive and optimistic so that's nice that's nice all right uh, do you have any closing remarks or should we close I am very thankful for being here actually so thank you very much for this space as well for Mike who invited me and I don't think it's the fact of being very positive in this industry is that I feel that as lawyers we're very lucky to be living through the possibility of innovating innovation and creating as well because before it was just learn this book and learn this regulation by heart and spit it out and now it's up to ourselves to create something that's as very knowledgeable and just for everyone. So it's exciting and a big, big, big challenge. So super frustrating, but we're living through something amazing and let's try to make it something fair too. That would be good. All right. And please, uh, if, I mean, your thoughts would really be appreciated at the Bankless Legal Guild, you know? That would be interesting. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Fortunata. Thanks a lot. And yes, thank you. Have a good day. So, yeah. We want to thank Bankless DAO for supporting this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please like and share on your favorite podcast streaming platform and Twitter at BanklessDAO. Questions, comments, suggestions? Please join us in the BanklessDAO Discord server and post on the General Legal Channel or DM our host at lion917.eth. Till next time.